On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Anna Bogutskaya. Anna is a London-based author, critic, freelance film programmer, podcaster, and creative producer. Her nonfiction debut is called Unlikable Female Characters, The Women Pop Culture Wants You to Hate, and it's out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So we spend a lot of time unpacking the term unlikable as it relates to women, because by the way, it's not used for anyone else. Uh, Mm -hmm. And now you've written a whole book talking about this. We gobbled it up. There's so much good stuff in here. Tell our listeners about this book. So it pretty much started with the very idea that you just summarized. Why is the term unlikable only used for women? Why is it so intrinsically gendered that even when it is mentioned in conversation, and I remember having this conversation in a meeting at a place I used to work at and the reaction from my male colleagues versus the reaction from my female colleagues was radically different and I sort of noted that sort of started articulating something in my head that I already knew instinctively but hadn't really thought about critically that much the other thing that's very much at the heart of the of the book which looks at fictional women so it looks at characters across film tv a little bit of music and kind of larger than life pop culture characters but primarily i wanted to focus on fictional characters and That's because the word unlikable is also deeply linked with the entertainment industry for me. It's about sellability. Mm. You know, we think about characters that we want to spend an hour and a half, two hours, six hours, 10 hours, six seasons, six seasons in a movie. No, you want to be able to enjoy the company of these characters that you live with. However, Every so often, literally like clockwork, maybe every 18 months, there will be a slew of articles talking about either the rise or the fall, or even the question of what to do with unlikable female characters. And I've never once, and I've read many, many articles, and I've scoured for them, seen the term applied to the male equivalent in the same shows very often in the same realm of pop culture criticism. And, you know, I've read and studied many of these, you know, TV shows and, and films that deal with difficult men, great characters, but they were never really brushed aside and under this big, porous umbrella of unlikable female characters. So the book really was an exercise in trying to understand and unpick and categorize what it is that we're talking about when we talk about unlikable female characters. Yeah. 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 And men, not, it's not that men are all wonderful and, you know, positive, but their negativity, one, is far more nuanced, right? They get mm-hmm. actual labels, like crime boss. Now, crime boss yes. is maybe unlikable, but he is given humanity that a woman is not and a nuance that a woman is not and difficult the worst they say is anti-hero for men yeah. mm-hmm. which still has hero in hero. it but mm-hmm. but we women are just simply plainly unlikable yeah and you wrote an entire book on it and we've essentially have an entire podcast on it here so we we're clearly <laughs> um both exploring or all exploring a lot of the same things um so you know in the conversations we've had about it Corinne and I we do have like a whole episode on the unlikable female protagonist, but it's really everything we talk about. So, but mm-hmm. we struggle because, 
you know, there's no singular definition. And on that episode, I remember us talking about how something that um, would be unlikable to me is just relatable to Corinne or vice versa. And so I'm curious, I'd love for you to share really what your definition is that, as you set forth in the book, and then you do these categories. And I think people, um, first, we should be sort of talking about how you define it unlikable. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're very right. And I think I write about it at some point in the book that liking someone be that a real person or a character, is very much a knee-jerk instinctive reaction, right? The things that make someone unlikable will be different for you and for me and for anyone else who might be listening to this. And honestly, the crux of the matter is I cannot define an unlikable female character Mm -hmm. because it is an impossible, undefinable, catch-all term that is, pardon my French, absolute bullshit. Exactly. Because it just... (laughs) It is a bendable term that is designed to mean whatever it needs to mean, depending on who it's thrown against. In the same realm of words like difficult, you know, what do we mean when we say that a woman in particular is difficult? You know, it has enough room to conjure up whatever you personally, as an audience member, think that it means to be difficult. So that might be questions of morality or ethics. That might be questions of appearance. That might be questions of class. That might be questions of, you know, actions or excess. So unlikable and kind of the way that I've structured the book was a whole exercise in trying to understand what exactly do we mean When we talk about it, does it mean that you're a train wreck because you're partying too much? Does it mean that you're too bossy? Does it mean that you're too aggressive, that you're mimicking male characteristics, that you're a bitch? Does it mean that you're too promiscuous or sexually open? Does it mean you're a slut? All those things and none of those things at the same time is what it means to be an unlikable female character. Because essentially it is a term that is setting up women, both fictional and real ones, to fail And the only way to set them up to fail, whatever it is that they are, is by constantly changing the goalposts and constantly changing the definition of the term itself and of the rules. Yes. And and you also kept repeating a word that is a vital part of the definition. It is just too much. It's not to say any Mm -hmm. being a boss isn't a bad thing. Being loud isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just too much. Mm -hmm. We're always too much. You've gone too far with that category. And again, that's Mm -hmm. not something we hear about men. So what do you think then is the value of of seeing unlikable women on the screen or studying their character? Honestly, primarily, it's good characters. It's just great, compelling, well-written characters. It seems like such a low bar, isn't it? When we're talking (laughs) about films, when we're talking about TV, about books. It's like, oh, I'd like to enjoy a really well-written character, whatever their journey might be, whatever genre they might exist in. You know, I love films like, uh, you know, Fatal Attraction or Gone Girl, The Last Seduction, as much as I'm enjoying Succession. Uh, And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the writing is the thing that speaks primarily. Why should we relegate a whole, you know, 
whole potentials of stories because of gender norms or because of set expectations or rules that we're applying to, and let's remind ourselves, fictional characters. Yeah. We can create yeah. those. We can write those stories. And those audiences, as the very recent kind of rise and popularity and accolades that these kind of characters have received, really prove that there has always been a uh, a massive audience appetite for them. So yeah, that yeah. is one of the values of kind of writing about them, of studying them, and also, frankly, of even challenging the mm-hmm. notion of what it means to be an unlikable female characters. Now, I think yeah. at the end of the book, I I have this sort of, I wrestled with myself through the entire process of writing it, where it's like, I don't really think this book should exist. Yeah. I don't think this term yeah. should exist. And I really resent the fact that it is so instantly recognizable to you both, yeah, to anyone yeah. that I've spoken to about this project as it was happening, to anyone going forward, they instantly know what I mean, but yeah. they don't, none of us can actually fully define it because it is yeah. so porous. And that in itself just makes it a, a worthy object of study for me. Yes, absolutely. And and I think it must, it must have started with characters, just women getting more space on the screen. And it you know, they were so one-dimensional before as the wife or the, the secretary, the assistant, the sidekick, whatever it was. And as they got more airtime, uh, there was more complexity. And it was more of like, okay, just put them back in the corner. We don't, we already have our hero. We already have our bad guy, whoever it is. We don't need that. I just want to read something that you wrote about why we should have them. Um, you say they're not supposed to be aspirational. This isn't at the end of the, a brief and incomplete history of the unlikable female character. They're not supposed to be aspirational. These characters are valuable beyond their likability. Once characters are allowed to let go of the pressure to be nice, to conform, to have an impossible made-up ideal of how a woman should look and behave, they are allowed to be messy, complicated, angry, vulnerable, and human. And we are allowed to see ourselves in them. Yes. I mean, it's fantastic. Thank exactly you. what we talk about. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And and speaking of seeing ourselves in some yeah. of these categories, <laughs> yeah. so yes. you know, like we're saying, a lot of things that people might deem unlikable, we view as relatable. And the bitch mm-hmm. category is one mm-hmm. that really speaks to me. I'll just tell you what that says about me. But the bitch and um, the angry woman; those two mm-hmm. um, have always just I. I could never deem those things unlikable because I find them so relatable. Um, But I want to talk about the bitch first. Um, And Mm -hmm. you say in the book that the most important thing about the bitch is agency. And I loved that. And one of the, you give many examples, but one that we love because we love succession is Shiv Roy, Mm -hmm. who happens to be a very well-known one right now, given the popularity of that show. And you call her though the flop, which I think is interesting. (laughs) And she how her femaleness both hinders and aids her so mm-hmm. talk to us about the bitch and about shiv and what you mean there about her being the flop mhm so the bitch is also one of my favorites and i think just on a on a personal level i'll probably relate to every single one of these yes. tropes mm-hmm. and 
the bitch in particular is fascinating because it's it's an insult that's been hurled that I I would say almost probably every woman hmm. that's walking around. Uh, I remember doing an event, uh, my first event for the book, and I asked the audience to raise their hands if they'd ever been called a bitch. And except two women in the audience, every single one of them raised their hand. So and, I'm and not unfamiliar two just didn't with know. that. It was. <laughs> It was behind their I think back. they were too young. I mean, literally all of us. Yeah, okay, all right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that line is very important because sometimes, and again, very porous definition, and all the, the, the examples that I bring in are very different from one another, including Chevroy, who I'll talk about in a minute. But the agency aspect really has to do for me with wants with wanting something, with wanting something and going after it. And whatever that may take, that might take a, a toxic, negative approach that might make you into a, you know, a femme fatale, or that might make you into an antihero, you know, that might make you into kind of a Walter White-esque figure. That's fine. That's all great stories. I, I love watching them. But it's this notion of you just decide what is the life that you want or what is the thing that you want and you go after it. And that propulsion, that activeness is what makes a character deeply watchable and intriguing and complicated and worthy of debate. You know, we're not really going to write essays or books or create podcasts around characters that don't really do much and just yeah. simply wait for things to happen to them and sort of maybe kind of react without really acknowledging what they actually are feeling, what they want to do. We will make shows and write movies and make podcasts around those characters when they explode and they realize that they need to yeah. do something, right? Yeah. So that agency aspect really is about that. It's about being active and in pursuit of whatever it is that you want. The thing is the least important one because that's you know, the particular to each story and each character, but it's the desiring something. And I think there's been so much trying to control and decide what it is that women should want. That means that the breadth of characters that we get on screen is limited as well to what is so, so to speak, acceptable desires for women. You know, you should be in pursuit of this one thing, but at the expense of everything else. And anyone who's in pursuit of this thing that goes in opposition to the socially accepted normal thing, then they must be punished because they're essentially a threat to the status quo. Now, where I find Shiv to be very interesting is that she is a flop because she fails at everything mm -hmm. that she wants to mm -hmm. achieve. And she's one of my favorite um, kind of contemporary characters. And I actually wrote a lot more about her than what ended up in the book. And this is very much, by the time I finished the book, this was, uh, season three had just aired. So none of season four is, is making its way into there, sadly. Yeah, but yeah. the thing that I found really fascinating about Siobhan, especially in the in the second and the third season, is that her femaleness, being the only daughter of the, of the Rory clan, um, kind of kept her protected in a way and gave her this sense of, of specialness and made her ambition and her smarts seem much more transgressive. But then at the point where she actually enters the world of Waystar Roko, that is the thing that is used to keep her down constantly. She's belittled by much more incompetent and none of the people in succession are competent, yeah. right? But there's several <laughs> yes. degrees of incompetency. And, you know, she's constantly belittled by everyone 
everyone, including bless him, Connor, who is the first pancake of the family. And she <laughs> is constantly reminded that she's the only girl, that she's the daughter. She's referred to very often by this girlish nickname of Pinky. You know, she's belittled mm. with very gendered aggression. You know, the Kendall Roy playing uh, the Nirvana track Rape oh, Me as she's oh, doing her me, very yeah. first address. It's a boyish sibling prank, but it is so pointedly gendered, right? Gendered. If that mm-hmm. was his brother up there, he would not have played that specific song. And obviously, this is all fabulous writing by the writers of Succession yeah. because they know exactly what they're doing. Because, and I think I, I point this out in the book that as much as she is unbelievably privileged by her class, her family, her whiteness, she is always still going to be a woman and that is one of the things that is just not allowed in this world so the fact that she does have agency she does one thing she makes moves to get them but she constantly fails because let's face it she's not the smartest one they're all different shades of dumb of dumbness and incompetence but (laughs) exactly of ineptitude but I particularly find it fascinating because as much as she is, she's a very bitchy character, she still fails. She doesn't really get what she wants. And the buildup of that frustration is kind of really unique to see because you're seeing someone be given so many privileges and want so much and be, you know, capable in some ways and absolutely blinded by her own hot-headedness, her own hubris, and her own sense of self-importance. And I love that. I just love watching. I could talk about Siobhan Roy. I could do a whole podcast about Siobhan Roy alone. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. You said um, that the bitch knows what she wants and she's going after it. The train wreck is somehow kind of linked to that. They... Mm maybe don't know what they want, but they are going after it in all the wrong ways, but they are going after it. You write, I love this, you write uh, in the train wreck section, ultimately train wrecks are hungry characters and female hunger, whatever shape it takes, has always been scrutinized, chastised, and punished. They're thirsty for experiences, booze, excess, and freedom. Booze or drugs or sex may not satisfy their particular thirst, but stories that treat their party girls with the same generosity that we afford to our male fuck-ups are starting to appear more frequently. One of your favorites in here is Fleabag on that, Mm -hmm. the train wreck. And I want to have you talk a little bit about that or or Fleabag, either one. Um, This section was one of my favorites as well. Thank you. I think that's a really astute observation. You know, a lot of both the bitch and the train wreck are effectively characters filled with desires, but the messiness that is implicit in even the term train wreck, again, all of these terms are so heavy, you know, when some of them are very, very confrontational, like the word bitch, like the word slut, have been weaponized over and over again. But they mean something very specific when we're talking about screen characters and pop culture. And with the train wreck, I found it to be very interesting how she she's so intensely watchable. You know, there's a you, you could write a whole separate chapter about just the train wrecks that are the the supporting characters, not the leads. You know, you see mm. a little bit of them, and then they become cautionary tales. Like the, yes. I think. A, a reference one episode of Sex in the City where a party girl goes splat because she falls out of the party window. 
in an apartment. You know, they they're memorable because they essentially eat themselves alive with all the yeah. excess. Yeah, and yeah, what we're yeah. seeing in shows like Fleabag is actually they are transported from the supporting stage, essentially showing through their excess that they are the wrong way to be. And instead, let's focus on the more demure or more focused or more correctly minded lead character who, you know, will become better because of her train wrecky friend. Um, Characters like Fleabag are allowing for us to see both the really intoxicating and powerful and fun elements of those characters. Like I love this film, um, this independent film called Animals. And I write about it quite a lot in the book Mm -hmm. where we do see the very, very cinematic, joyful elements of those party girls, of those train wrecking girls. And then we see what happens when the, essentially when the lights go up in the club at 6am and sometimes it's not pretty. And with characters like Fleabag, we're with her so closely. We're in her mind, literally, that it does allow us and does allow her the space to both make those mistakes, become aware of them and get herself to a place where she is not sacrificing elements of her life, of her personality, of her way of being, but she can move forward and actually decide on what it is that she wants which is the key difference right as you mentioned the train wreck Mm -hmm. doesn't really know what to go for it's got all the she wants everything 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 all at the same time yeah yeah and that's what i love it's not when she decides she has to change the train wreck she's doing Mm -hmm. it in a way that suits herself because her going off the rails to stay with the metaphor was hurting her. Not because it's not societally appropriate or not because it's, you know, it's something external. It's when the train wreck gets better when they realize what's not working for them. And that is Mm -hmm. such a Mm -hmm. huge difference. It is Mm -hmm. such a, a level of humanity and agency that is not allowed in the cautionary tale where someone falls out the window. Oh, you know, just because... Then the message is don't do that. But when you're fleabag and you're allowed to figure it all out, the message is, okay, you might be messy. Get through it and figure it out. But go through mm-hmm. it. Don't stay away from that messiness. I love that. Yeah. Love that. And by yeah, the way, it doesn't this is make why... you a bad person. No. Yes. But that's why these representations, just to go back to what we were saying earlier, is so important. Because even for someone like me, Corinne knows this, I have trouble watching the messy women. I do. I, it's mm-hmm. whatever's been indoctrinated in me, whatever is in <laughs> yeah. me, whatever society. I don't, I'm, I will own it. Like I have trouble with Cassie, the flight attendant. I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. just get yourself together. You know? And I, so I am sort of guilty of this. Like, oh my God, why are you such a mess? You know? And so to see these representations, like you're saying, of a flea bag, where, where I, it, it helps me and, and I'm sure it helps other people with, with these kind of come with preconceived notions I think or just their own blind spots like I just I'm, I got a, I'm a little more buttoned up here so <laughs> um well so I, I love that I, I think that's a really interesting point because I think 
You know, and I think that's a through line that goes through the entirety of the book, both for us as as people and as viewers, as audience members, that we all have our biases and our preconceptions. Yeah. So we are all either harder on ourselves or on, on other people and on characters that don't fit, again, our yeah. particular parameters or our view of the world. And also, let's, you know, let's admit it, we, women everywhere are particular, there is a particular reserve of bile and judgment that we have just for other women. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I know. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, listen, Corinne and I often see things very differently, which is what makes it so great, right? Because we, we have mm-hmm. our biases, but they're usually the opposite. So it's great um, for discussion. Um, speaking of the opposite, I think the opposite of the train wreck is really the shrew. Um, Mm -hmm. the shrew is another one I identify with. Um, she speaks her mind, but you know, she's often, you know, for others, they think maybe she's not the right amount of smart. Like she's the know-it-all or the nag, the too much as we were saying earlier. And, and the character you talk about a lot is Skylar White. And Mm -hmm. I was a big Breaking Bad fan. And I'll, I'll tell you at the time though, I was not as familiar and your book helped me understand just the ways in which she was as the actress and the character just so vilified compared to Walter White. And I think at the time, I just, I probably was just like, yeah, more fascinated with Walter White and the story. And it was really interesting to to read the part um, about really what she experienced to the point where the actress took to writing sort of a sort of an op-ed piece. So mm-hmm. that one seemed a great example of the double standard. Um, so I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, she's she's probably one of the most complicated to define tropes in the book mm-hmm. because I write a lot about Skylar White. I also write a lot about teen films because uh, I particularly mm-hmm. like Tracy Flake in Election. Yeah. Because there is this sort of, you know, almost archetype in teen films that I then started seeing in the process of writing this book in more adult dramas, both series and films. So it's like, yeah, the wife is essentially the teenage know-it-all, but if she grows up, which again is this really constraining idea of what happens if you do everything right? You are operating by all the rules. You're smart enough. You're pretty enough. You're not too loud. You're not too excessive. You're not bitchy. You're not bossy. You've just got the right amount of ambition, not too much to make anyone uncomfortable, but you're still wrong. Why is she still wrong? Why is she so deeply reviled? And Anna Gunn, who's the actress who portrayed Scarlett White, is a is a prime example of something that has happened over and over and over again throughout uh, pop culture history of an actress being identified so strongly with her character that she herself becomes reviled and an object of hate because her character is an object of hate. And what really deeply interested me about the the shrew is that. Those are not characters who are, let's say, morally in the wrong. You know, these are not killers. These are not, you know, people who are committing massive crimes or abuses of power. Usually they're people who are trying to stop it, or usually who are people who are, quote unquote, annoying in some way, or annoying by certain rules. And usually whose rules that is, is a question of the perspective of the the film or the piece. You know, election is a great example, because... We all thought for a long time, uh, until quite recently, or most of the criticism around the film was that 
she is the vi- she is the monster even though she's a teenage girl who is embroiled in the abuses of power of grown men and yet she ends up the villain in the same way skylar white is embroiled in the nefarious criminal murderous actions of her husband does not know about this for a big chunk of the first uh, couple of seasons and yet she is the one that is reviled so the logic of that just does not actually compute in any way except in an emotional instinctive way right and that has happened to it happened to um Shannon Doherty uh on the with the with the massive success that was Beverly Hills 90210 it happened to Anna Gunn it happened to Lena Dunham with Hannah Horvath on Girls it happened consistently to actresses who became so intertwined with a character that we decided to hate as a culture that we simply could not actually understand what it was that we were looking at. It all, it becomes almost yeah. like a sport to hate those characters. That's just fascinating. And one of the most, um, I think they take it even farther when you get to the psycho, right? And mm. Gillian Flynn and Amy Dunn from Gone Girl. I want to read a little something you, you write in that section, the psycho. The fact that both the author and the actress were and still are subjected to questioning about their so-called responsibility for breathing life into a character as vile as Amy Dunn is pointedly and pathetically predictable. Women who create unlikable or worse psychotic female characters are asked to shoulder the morality of their characters. This is something I struggle with all the time. Amy Dunn, Gillian Flynn, Gillian Flynn is my hero. Mm -hmm. Amy Dunn is a character I will never, ever stop being uh, uh, fascinated by. But she's not aspirational in this way. I'm not confused about who she is. And yet my liking of her confuses people as if what? I'm going to, you know, go psychotic on them. Talk about that. Mm. So I find that fascinating, right? It goes right back to our the start of our conversation where we're talking about, you know, why what makes an unlikable female character. And there's another question there, which is why should female characters always be aspirational? Why should they be role models? I don't want role models. I want characters. I have real and- life role models. <laughs> yes. My exactly. fictional characters can be something else entirely. No one is asking Stephen King why why he wrote Annie Wilkes. I mean, he spoke a lot about why, but you know, nobody's asking him. Well, do you feel responsible for young female readers or female readers in general? feeling like they have this very toxic role model. The idea that we were look, questioning Rosamund Pike, who portrayed Amy in the, in the film adaptation, or Gillian Flynn, about the responsibility of creating a character that is so rich and dense and has become such a cultural marker, which is why I find really interesting. Part of the reason why it became a cultural marker is because people were tossing and turning questioning their allegiance to this character because of the way that the story is structured because they were falling into a trap set by the author and then questioning their own loyalties and that is a fabulous reader experience it's an amazing viewing experience as well i i i'm pleased i'm grateful yes it's absolutely a story i'm going to be coming back to because it changes 
once you know what the full story is. And instead of celebrating the, well, we have celebrated the achievement with tens of millions of copies sold and yes. <laughs> a great adaptation and a constant cultural discourse. But my point being that the fact that there was still our endless articles being like, Amy Dunn, is she a feminist or is she not? Yeah. No, she's a yeah. psychopath. <laughs> That's enough. Yes. We can yeah, analyze yes. her as a psychopath. Nobody's asking Hannibal Lecter if he's a feminist. Right, he probably right. is, actually. But, you know, yeah. that is beside the point. It is. And Gillian Flynn has to answer to whether she has single-handedly hurt feminism. Why? From writing? How about how far ahead she has put entertainment and characters that are women? I mean, that. why is it her personal responsibility to teach all of us not to do. If you think what you should do is what Amy Dunn does, yeah. you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. I, it's we can't admire, I think we do have the intelligence to admire uh, characters who are problematic, who are dangerous, who are criminal, or uh, absolutely, you know, insane. We can still enjoy their stories and admire oh. them as characters without wanting to be them. Yeah. Well, and we do that for men. Tony That's Soprano. Tony Soprano and Walter White. We do exactly. that. We, we know how Don to do Draper. that. Yes. Just can't be a woman. And then yeah. we suddenly get into this, these other things. Um, yeah. So where do you think we go from here? Um, you know, you suggest in the book that unlikable is now maybe a selling point. Um, and mm. we've had discussions about really, is there any sort of untapped frontier? I think Corinne posited on one that maybe it's motherhood like the the bad mom because nothing is more unlikable or or reprehensible to our society than a bad mother mm -hmm. so we'd love to hear your thoughts on that Where we're it's really going. interesting you meant you bring up the the bad mom because that that was going to be a chapter in the book and then i i took it out because it's it's much too complicated to be a single chapter mm, yes. i find uh, yeah. And also, I'm not a mother. So there's an element of I don't want to speak for an experience that I don't have. But I actually think I mean, when I stopped, when I had to stop writing the book, because my deadline was up, <laughs> there were so many more films and shows that I could possibly write about, you know, even in the space since I finished it, and it is coming out now there's at least 10 to 15 more films and shows from all around the world, not just English language, that have come out that would be perfect subject matters. And also that complicate these kind of loose taxonomy that I establish in the book. And I think that's the beautiful element of it. The fact that you're, you know, I write about the psycho, the shrew, the, the slut, the bitch, and I'm looking back. I'm looking and trying to understand and, and frame older characters, especially characters from a pre-code Hollywood era, um, kind of as and why they work, why they created such a, a reaction in audiences and in the industry sometimes. But what I'm already seeing and what I'm really grateful for is that these characters become a lot more complicated. You know, you can't fit them in a neat box anymore. And that in itself is, I think, progress. It means that you can no longer really say, oh, this is this is an unlikable female character. There was a very brief moment where we were trying to sell it. You know, when we had the Girl Boss Netflix series, when we had Cruella, they were really trying to 
use that as a marketing tool without really understanding what makes this kind of character watchable or engaging. But you can't really apply those kind of definitions to truly great characters. They become much more interesting, much more layered. So layered, in fact, that you just have to give them their own room. You're no longer putting them in the same pot as a bunch of secondary tertiary characters and instead you're writing entire books and thesis and dedicating cultural space to dissecting them it's endless you know Chevroy is a perfect example of a character that uh, as much as I write about her in the bitch chapter you know you could do a whole book about Chevroy alone because the layers and the nuances and the, the complications and the levels of the performance as well that Sarah Snook gives and the way that the cultural discourse uh, has been brewing uh, around succession as a whole and about Chevroy spe- specifically is is enough to fit an entire book and that is what I find very encouraging right yeah. the fact that we it would be it would have been deeply depressing if by the time I finished this and between in that space and and now uh, we'd actually regressed back to a, a Mean Girls era or an era where everyone had to fit in and react to female characters in a really knee-jerk, judgy way. And instead, what we're getting is characters that are so complicated, the term unlikable no longer even fits them. It's too yeah. narrow. Yeah, and the proliferation of it, that the, that we just have mm-hmm. all of these characters bombarding us. The mess looks this way, the train wreck looks this way, the bitch looks like this. It's, it's almost disorienting in a way that kind of breaks that mold. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the ways Kate and I um, both embrace, or another category, I guess, would be kind of the witchy, maybe the weirdo, mm-hmm. right? The ones who have mm-hmm. some sort of power, who believe in something else is by embracing astrology. And mm-hmm. we we always like to ask our authors, what's your zodiac sign, and if you know it, mm-hmm. and uh, do you relate to it at all? <laughs> I, I do. I'm a cancer. However, I have no idea about astrology. So <laughs> I'm open-minded yeah. about everything, but I have never actually gone down the rabbit hole myself to even find it out is, about myself. It is a rabbit hole. It is definitely a rabbit hole. Is there any form of mysticism that you kind of are interested in or have gone down a little bit? Tarot, psychics, anything like that? Just curious. Any woo-woo in your life? (laughs) (laughs) Not in my adult life, actually. I've always been curious about tarot, but also I'm an atheist, but I'm an open-minded one. So if a ghost, I'm I'm kind of a, a... not a believer. I think that's too strong a word. But if, say, a ghost turns up, I'm just instantly switching over to the other side and deciding, yep, that's a ghost. I believe that was, in fact, a ghost. And I'm now going to dedicate the rest of my life to the supernatural. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, open is is a great yeah. word. And I mean, really, what more can you ask for? Um, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tarot, we are super into tarot too. If you, so if you're thinking of dabbling, that does, that, that's one we highly recommend. Um, yeah. And there's archetypes in it. So I think you would like it because mm-hmm. it's a that's lot right, in the tarot. Um, that's right. In the tarot. So I think that could speak to you. So before we go, we always ask sort of what you're loving, mm-hmm. what you're reading, watching. I mean, I'm sure you're watching lots of things or it sounds like, you know, there's plenty of things in your list that we'd love yeah. to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh and the, gosh, and the book so. has a, by the way, also has a whole watch list of yeah. unlikable to watch. So from, and from the origin to current uh, movies, TV, fantastic. But otherwise, what are you, what are you into? Yeah, I really wanted because I couldn't cover everything. And I wanted to make sure that it was as accessible as possible. So very recognizable movies, very recognizable TV shows, very findable ones. Uh, But then I went absolutely hog wild with the watch list. You can find stuff from all over the world there that I love, just did not have the room to write about. Uh, Currently, I'm, I'm obviously watching Succession, just like everyone else in the world. And I'm also I'm doing a whole podcast about every single episode with a friend of mine. So we publish that every Tuesday. Uh, I'm currently reading a nonfiction book called Fassbinder Thousand Mirrors by Ian Penman, which is a new film essay, memoir, biography type of book because I'm writing I'm writing something about film books. And I've just finished reading A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, which is a phenomenal horror novel. And what else am I watching? I'm watching a lot of stuff for several festivals that I program for that are kind of very early on. But outside of that, I've also, honestly, yesterday I rewatched Men in Black and continue to maintain that it's a perfect film. Wow. Great yeah, fun. fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, I've obviously watched it before, but I love Men in Black. It's a great time. Wow. I love that. Okay. That is fantastic. Uh, what great work, right? I mean, isn't this, this is stuff we love. We could geek out on this <laughs> all day long. So, well, thank you so much for joining us, Anna. Tell listeners where we can find you, which is a lot of places. Share. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for inviting me on. It's been a really, really great conversation um so you can buy unlikable female characters anywhere you get your books it's on sale everywhere you can find me on my horror film history podcast the final girls uh you can also find me on twitter and instagram at anna be demented i write for a lot of different places so i usually post everything that i'm writing there i usually essays or film criticism and you can also listen to my succession recap podcast the successionistas wherever you find your podcast (laughs) oh fantastic thank you again thank you thank you both so much